Good morning. Welcome to Ask Andy. This is a daily podcast about personal injury practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Today I wanted to talk to you about how medical records can help you or hurt your case. Most lawyers have horror stories about what's in clients' medical records, and most clients have no idea what's in their medical records until their lawyer gets them. So, for example, you're in a situation, you slip and fall, you hurt yourself, you go to the hospital, and you know, you're there for medical care, so you don't really think about, one, what you're saying, and two, the doctor doesn't really care, you know, that you might have a lawsuit down the road. So what happens? The doctor writes down that, um, you know, exactly what you told them, which was, you know, I don't know what happened. I was walking down the street and ended up on the ground, and now I've got a broken ankle. So what does the doctor write down? Client has no idea what caused her fall, and now she has a broken ankle. So what does the doctor do next? They repair your broken ankle because that's their job. Now, what happens? Your lawyer orders your medical records. It usually takes 30 to 60 days between you first contacting the lawyer and lawyer actually getting the medical records because we have to go make sure we have proper HIPAA releases, go through this whole process. It takes about 30 to 60 days to get medical records. Most people are curious why you know cases take long. That's reason number one. Second, like we won't go and file a lawsuit without your medical records. One, because we need to make sure that the injury you have is, is what actually occurred or what you say occurred is what occurred. And second, you know, we know as lawyers that there's you know, bad stuff lurking in people's medical records. So even on that innocent example I gave you of, I don't know what happened, I fell, I broke my ankle. You know, that's kind of devastating in a slip and fall case, because at least from the plaintiff's side, I need to identify what caused your fall. I need to show that you slipped on ice. I need to show that there was oil on the ground at the garage. I need to show that there was a crack in the sidewalk that was beyond code or that, you know, anyone, any homeowner in their right mind would repair. But if your medical record says, I ain't got a clue, <laughs> your case has a problem because what's going to happen? You're going to be sitting in a deposition and you're going to say, look, I'm dead sure because you've met with me. We've talked about it. We've been back to the scene. We've looked at what probably caused. And you're going to testify at your deposition that, I'm pretty sure that that crack in the sidewalk caused my fall. Because that's your case. And that's what you're going to tell me most likely when you're, you're meeting with me for the first time. And what does your medical record say? Back to the medical record. It says, I have no idea what caused my fall. Okay. Well, you know, ethically, can I as your lawyer have you testifying that you know exactly what caused your fall when I have a medical record that says I don't know what caused your fall? Eh, probably not. You know, I can't have you saying something under oath that is plainly wrong. So that's a problem for, for me even starting your case with you. Um, you know, heaven forbid we, we don't even know about that medical record and it comes out during the deposition. That's not good. So, you know, that innocent statement of like, I don't know what caused my fall can be really devastating. And there are a thousand examples that personal injury lawyers can give you of, 
things left unsaid. So, you know, I just finished uh, a trial on a case, and the only real angle the defense had in the case to say that my client wasn't injured in the car accident was that when she got to the ER, she didn't complain of back pain. She complained of back pain at her deposition and throughout the rest of the treatment, but that first you know, interaction with a, a hospital, she di- didn't say anything about back pain. In fact, the doctors registered her back pain as normal. And it was an issue. Now, upon really close reading of the medical record, it said, you know, they were very focused at the ER with about the client's complaints of chest pain. And they attribute it because ERs worry about chest pain because chest pain can be heart attacks and heart attacks can kill you. So, you know, the ER rightfully focused on this lady's chest pain. And they said we're focusing on her chest pain because she just had a stressful event where she was at her nephew's funeral. Okay, so look, your nephew's funeral is going to be stressful and upsetting and then you're in a car accident. You can see why someone might be having cardiac complaints. But upon getting the medical records and talking to the client, what happened? Well, it turned out the client has a lot of nephews, but none of them have died or needed a funeral. So someone at the ER, you know, was writing some other patient's notes into my client's records. You know, and what I ended up arguing the whole time was, look, it's a busy ER, it's a big city ER in Philadelphia, and they just didn't write down her complaints of back pain. Instead, they wrote someone else's notes into her records. You know, did that carry the day? Yeah, probably. That explained it. You know, it made the defense look silly. But, you know, at the same time, it's another example of one of those things where if you as the lawyer don't have the medical records, you're not going to see that or be able to anticipate that. So look, medical records tell a lot of stories to those of us who know how to read them. Um, So I spent, I don't know, six, seven years defending medical malpractice cases in Boston before I moved to Philadelphia. And, you know, if you defend medical malpractice cases for long enough, you end up sitting with your clients who are doctors and hospital people, and you learn you know, in excruciating detail how to read medical records. And I won't know if your diabetes is high or your blood pressure is low until I'm working on that issue, but I probably understand every nuance that's written into your medical records from a legal perspective better than any of the doctors do. Because the doctors are focused on getting you better. And I'm focused on, well, what's said and what's not? What did the doctor do and why? So... You know, from a medical record perspective, you know, you really want a lawyer with some real good training in medical records and in cross-examining doctors, because that's really a large part of what we do. You know, I really pride myself on reading medical records and cross-examining defendant doctors. I know other personal injury lawyers who don't, and I think it's a, a mistake, but, you know, in the medical records... The doctors, they rule conditions out, they rule conditions in, they do testing if they feel there's a need for prior testing. Nurses often type a lot more kind of personal and situational information into the medical record because the nurses aren't doing the doctor's job. They're not trying to run tests or evaluate conditions. And sometimes the color commentary by the nurses is more helpful or more devastating than anything else.
so you know i can i i can list you thousands of situations from thousands of cases where people say they were desperately hurt and then they're checked out by a nurse and the nurse says they're fine now you know you need to take that into account because the defense is always going to say well look the first time they went to see a healthcare provider they were fine that's what they said you know and that's not necessarily true or accurate but you do have to find that first medical record you do have to find every single one after that because as you stitch together the client's medical record and the client can never really do this for you themselves they can just tell you well I went to you know, only PT, I went to Einstein Medical Center, I went to urgent care, and I went to see the orthopedist. But one of the, you know, primary things I do, and most defense counsel, um, you know, have a staff to do, is put together a timeline of someone's medical care. Because as you look at their primary care provider, who they may not have seen for two weeks, they say, oh, he's had pain for two weeks. Okay, boom, there. That helps with the ER record that didn't talk about pain. That just said, well, you know, she's not dead. We're going to discharge her. Maybe the first PT record says, oh, she's had pain since the accident. Um, you know, it's just you got to sort of put together the story from the medical record. And then we got to look back at your medical records from before the incident to verify, one, for ourselves, and two, to prepare you for cross, that you didn't have this condition ahead of time. Okay, you weren't complaining of back pain in the year, two years, three years, five years before your car accident. Or, hey, maybe you had, you know, maybe you were someone who was over 70 who was on medication for high blood pressure or some other disease that made you dizzy or made you unsteady on your feet. And maybe you'd been on that medication for three years before you slipped and fell on the sidewalk and you couldn't remember why or where. So, you know, that's a bad fact if you're a plaintiff, and it's a good fact if you're a defendant. Is this person on a medication that, you know, one of the warnings on the medication is it makes you dizzy? Well, <laughs> you should probably figure that out if you're a lawyer before you walk into court with your client. Um, so, you know, medical records can be helpful, they can be harmful, and they can be everything in between. I'll tell you one final war story. I had a carbon monoxide case about five years ago now, four or five years ago. And when you have carbon monoxide poisoning, the first thing you do after you call 911, they, they say, all right, open the doors and windows. So that clears the carbon monoxide out from your house, and it also gives you fresh air, which is basically the cure short-term for carbon monoxide poisoning. And then you go to the hospital, and the hospital usually will find that you know, you don't have a lot of carbon monoxide remaining in your in your bloodstream because you've been outside breathing air. And so those records and the levels of your monoxide, it's really called the carboxyhemoglobin in your blood, is very important in a carbon monoxide case. But, you know, 911 and everyone else has been telling you to breathe fresh air to try and get that out of your system. So, but you got to know what those levels are. You got to know what the significance of the blood work is. And, um, you know, that's about how these cases work. A lot of them just turn on extended treatment and medical records. So that's enough for today. Again, it's Ask Andy. I'm a personal injury lawyer in Philadelphia, and I look forward to hearing from you. And again, I'm Andrew Deworth. I hold people accountable.